Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So, Richard, yeah. you heard about the Tesla in space, right? <laughs> yes. So The, the Falcon Musk. Heavy thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I've been following Elon Musk. I've interviewed him. For, for many years, and when I saw that thing take off, I felt like a kid again. I mean, I was just so thrilled. It was like watching a Saturn V launch. And that's what's been so missing from recent space launches. Yes. I mean, they've been out there making progress, but there's been an absence of romance. The next space race with Joe Papalardo. It's a great American story. It, it survived three administrations. The book starts in 2011 with people literally weeping as the space shuttle retires. Buildings are being shuttered, thousands are being laid off, and, and it, was, it, was, it felt very dire. He gave a master class on engineering for the entire world to watch because he wasn't afraid to show people things crashing, because that's when you learn. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, you and I are old enough to remember when spaceflight was just about the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah, watching Apollo missions, the first big space launches. But then there were the two terrible shuttle accidents and the shuttle program finally petered out. It seemed like... The government and the country kind of lost interest in spaceflight. Yeah, government policy on spaceflight has certainly been somewhat vague and hasn't seemed like a national priority. But things are changing. Elon Musk's company, SpaceX, launching the new Falcon Heavy rocket. And there's so much more happening behind the scenes. Our guest is writer Joe Papalardo, a longtime aerospace journalist, and his new book is Spaceport Earth, The Reinvention of Spaceflight. Full disclosure, Joe and I used to work together at Popper Mechanics, and so there may be a little bit of shop talk along the way here, <laughs> and he's been covering this field for many years. He joins us via Skype from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show. I'm very happy to be here. Okay, great. So when most people think about space flight, they think about NASA, and they think about Cape Canaveral, but it turns out that people are launching rockets, or at least planning to, from a lot of locations around the U.S. Tell us about some. There are three basic kind of spaceports, and they're all on the upswing, which was sort of interesting to see that there are the big vertical launch sites like Cape Canaveral, Vandenberg, Wallops Island uh, in Virginia uh, is another one. Sort of. When you say vertical, up. you don't mean it's a business model. You mean that the rockets take off pointing straight up, right? <laughs> right, right. It's, the, <laughs> it's what, what you think of on the launch pad, you know, heading straight up uh, on the rail. 
dropping boosters behind it, getting into uh, into space that way, versus something like a space plane, which there are a lot of municipal airports, a lot of um, places that want to get the spaceport designation so they can host space planes landing or air launch rockets. Launches the rocket comes back. They would they want to be able to host those kinds of operations. So there are twelve spaceports, um, and only about half of them do have any vertical launch capability. Spaceport America has um, has both, but does neither. So, Joe, all of this activity is such a contrast to the recent past. I mean, it seems like, you know, when we were kids in the 60s and 70s, everybody was thrilled, excited about space. And then uh, the space program became far less romantic and in the public imagination. And that seems to be changing now. The book starts in 2011 with people literally weeping as the space shuttle retires. And and you're down there, you know, buildings are being shuttered, thousands are being laid off. And, and it was, it was, it felt very dire. Except during that trip, SpaceX was already working on their launch infrastructure, and they brought a bunch of media over there to, to take a look at what they were working on. And that all developed into what we're seeing now, which is this, you know, this innovation and, and re-embrace of spaceflight that I think is extremely healthy. It's a great American story. It, it survived three administrations, you know, uh, Bush, Obama, and now Trump. So the commercial spaceflight aspect of this is really has reinvigorated the entire effort and it's and it's having an impact across the country but also starting to have a bigger impact on the on the the globe and on on, uh, on other nations and how they approach space flight so you mentioned uh, spacex and uh, being down at cape canaveral you know a lot of people would think that nasa might be kind of chilly to an upstart private company like spacex um but it's that hasn't necessarily been the case the, the the story of of American space flight. You, if you're only going to make you know have one snapshot of a spot, it, it could you know very easily be that one. You you get the almost the full scope. Has an amazing legacy in moonshots, especially um, the shuttle flew from there. The last shuttle flight flew from there. But this launch pad now, uh, 39A, has the SpaceX operating there. So it was used for the. Saturn V missions, it was used for the space shuttle. And what's what has it been used for most recently? So 39A was in the headlines recently for the Falcon Heavy launch, which is Elon Musk's gigantic uh, triple core rocket that sent his uh, Tesla Roadster into deep space. And that launch happened at the, the same spot as, uh, as that last shuttle launch and the, those um, Saturn Apollo moonshots. And you get this sense of continuity at that launch pad that it went from the the scramble and the the, the wasteful but extremely effective moonshot to the you know the the high ambitions and the the stumbling of the shuttle program and now the transition into this new model which is NASA as a customer not the designer of the rocket the old space race was very much a government affair to what extent is the new development in space fueled by private enterprise it's uh, it's a it's a very new force there are still a lot of national interests at 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 stake here right i mean you, you can't really divorce national ambition from space flight even now even in this commercial age um even on the commercial end it's u.s launchers versus china and european launchers and russian launchers so you know even on the commercial end there's there's that sort of nationalistic impulse. And, and certainly in terms of launching astronauts from 
from the United States instead of renting rides from from Russia. That's extremely those are NASA programs. But there's something new going on, and, and especially in low Earth orbit, there are a lot of players. Satellites are getting smaller. There's a lot. There's a lot of ways that that you can launch and make money in space. What what kinds of benefits can they bring that we haven't seen already? Oh boy. Um, well, I mean that that I mean there are entire parts of the of the globe that would greatly benefit from from better satellite communications as, as well, we all would. But as more electronics, that the the internet of everything, um, you know, you're you're going to need robust and and pervasive space infrastructure to back up a lot of that. If you want embedded electronics in your clothes, if you want self-driving cars, if you want drones, a lot of that is enabled by better, more persistent, cheaper satellites. Um, there's a lot of scrambles going on in between companies to plant their flag in certain markets. Um, and the space boards come along with that because the municipal municipalities want to host those those rocket companies and the small launchers especially. They're, may, they're not all going to survive, but everyone wants to back the ones that are going to. Right. So, you know, everybody knows about Elon Musk because he's such a, a almost like a P.T. Barnum of, of tech and space and uh, gets a lot of publicity. Uh, but he's not the only billionaire building rockets right now. And um, can you just give us a quick kind of uh, baseball card sense of who the leaders are in this private space race right now? Sure. There's the sort of the, the, the big three. Bezos, Jeff Bezos, billionaire, working on his Blue Origin launch systems um, and has. So all that money, all that money from your Amazon uh, delivered Christmas presents is partly going to fuel his space ambitions. It's the Amazon Prime rocket, Jim. <laughs> it's, it's going out to a, 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 you know, to the new facilities at Cape Canaveral where he's digging some deep roots into the Cape um, in terms of actual infrastructure. It's very interesting to see that there's construction going on there instead of people emptying out buildings or, you know, uh, a company like that moves in and the parking lot's full. Exact opposite of what was in 2011, right? So, so I mean, the, the, the ripple effect of what these guys are doing can really be felt. More so than Richard Branson, who's in the Pantheon as well, of, of our private space Skyons. Now, his approach turned out to be the wrong one. Convince someone to build me a spaceport and I'll operate from it. As a as a basically a single tenant to carry the the freight. Well, 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 why 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 is it that that Richard Branson has been comparatively a failure compared to uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk? Well, I would say that Bezos can't really hold a candle to Musk now either. Um, he hasn't delivered a customer into space yet, and Musk is you know docking with the space station, so he's in the clear lead. Branson put out ambitious timelines of what he was going to launch and when, and the engineering wasn't even close. And so, just, to be, just to be clear, because I think a lot of people, when they hear space, they think, you know, rockets in space. Really, the, the Virgin Galactic plan is kind of a space plane. It goes up into space very briefly, carries some tourists. You have a few minutes of weightlessness, and then you basically fly back down to a runway and land, right? Exactly. I mean, they have ambitions to, to launch small satellites now, but at the time when Spaceport America was pitched and, and conceived, it was exactly what you just described, which was a tourist ride. Not all that inspiring and and have two very poor counties help pay for it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. 
Our guest is writer Joe Papillardo. We're talking about the next space race, and Joe's new book is Spaceport Earth, The Reinvention of Spaceflight. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davis. And I'm Jim Meggs. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Joe, in your book, you say deep down, I've always taken Elon Musk to be a blowhard. Do you still feel that way? Uh, well, I mean, just because you back it up um, doesn't mean you're not a blowhard <laughs> is my only defense. But also, I mean, you were describing the first time you met him, I think, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. That, <laughs> thank you for thank you for that. Jim to the rescue. Iron Man mad at me. Yeah. Not for the first time. Jim comes to my rescue. It's true, you know. And and I remember when um when we were discussing how to cover him when, when Jim and I worked together. So let me give some background on this, Joe, because I didn't really describe it in detail at the top of the show. So Joe and I go way back, having worked together for nearly 10 years at Popular Mechanics. We actually interviewed Elon Musk together at one point, and a lot of the things that are in the book are topics that Joe did a fantastic job covering at Popular Mechanics at a time when a lot of other people weren't paying that much attention to what was going on in private space. But, um, but you were a bit of a skeptic on Musk initially. I didn't want to get ahead of things. I saw Branson. I saw what was happening. I knew, you know, you always hear the mantra, space is hard, space is hard. And he would make these claims at price points, especially, oh, I can make the price of launch X, you know, and Y. And you think that's not achievable. And then behind the scenes, you get a litany of a lot of people in the industry saying, here are very good reasons why that's never going to work. And those reasons fell by the wayside one test after the other. And, and he wasn't afraid to innovate and crack things up and break things and fix them and make them better and then go back out. I mean, he, he gave a master class on engineering for the entire world to watch because he wasn't afraid to show people things crashing because that's when you learn. And I didn't, I didn't understand that about him. I didn't understand the approach. Um, I didn't know how, I didn't appreciate how lean that operation was going to stay. Um, at the time, it was lean, and I thought, well, it's a startup. It's going to bloat like everything else. And they've done a very admirable job of keeping the bloat down. That's, that's really impressive. Yeah, it, it is. It's, that is. That is no small feat, especially when you've got Air Force customers, NASA customers, satellite owner customers, your own you know, ambitions <laughs> on the, you know, um, to launch and, and to, to Mars and to do stuff like the, the car um, and do deep space missions. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. So 
my my hat's off to him. He really has delivered on it. Now, he's got wildly ambitious plans that, again, you, you make you sort of blink. But his track record is pretty damn good. So I'm I'm, I'm not as a I'm not I'm no longer a skeptic. I do have a lot of admiration. <laughs> so when you and I interviewed him, and in, I think it was in 2013, we were both struck by kind of how downbeat and honest he was about risk and his fear that one of his rockets would blow up, that his that that his various companies would fail. But since that time, he's had two devastating accidents with SpaceX. How did the company handle those? What did they learn from them? The, uh, you know, on one hand, you can't, <laughs> you, you learn from mistakes and, and catastrophes, and that's how you get better. Sure, I, I just went to that mantra, but not when you have a payload on your rocket. So um, this crisis quietly became their time to prove how professional they were. Because if you can convince NASA that your your systems are good to to launch human beings on, and it did, and the human rated pro- program didn't suffer from this. If you convince the Air Force you can launch national security payloads on those rockets, they're not going to mess around with that. And they aced all of those reviews. So the things that went wrong, they apparently were very forthright and corrected. And their customers are and the satellite companies too are signed on so that's three for three that still launch on their hardware they have to, they have transparency they will say what did you learn from this and they have experts on staff and not remember that the payloads are always worth more than the rockets the rides are cool you know how much i love rockets but the payloads are everything even when they're not people so um so if they're entrusting it to those rockets then they aced all of those reviews and they must have learned some some things and made some adjustments Joe, we're getting close to the final orbit of the no. show. And <laughs> I'd like to ask you a, a couple of questions about policy and how things could be better. So first, let's talk about whether the U.S. is on the right track in space. And I guess that includes whether the Trump administration budget proposal is, is doing what it should to help uh, space exploration. Well, you know, it, it's going in the right direction. And right now I can, I can pretty much say that the United States is approaching spaceflight better than any other country. The, the, the things that the commercial end are achieving and, the, and the, re, you know, the, the innovation associated with that and the ripple effect that's having is you can't compare it to anything else. So it's a, it's, and it should be a point of national pride, again, because it's, it carries over across party lines. At the same time, in parallel, there's the space launch system, this you know, very traditionally run, slow, extremely expensive, beyond your wildest dreams, expensive compared to SpaceX especially. So when (laughs) NASA decided they were going to shut down the shuttle because it was obscenely expensive and dangerous, they went back to a a plan to build a rocket kind of like the old Saturn V that launched astronauts to the moon or, you know, and went through many different iterations until finally – it's what today they call the space launch system. Boeing is supposed to be building lots of parts of it, but it's never flown. And now they, it sounds like they're pushing back the first test flights even a few more years. Why is this taking so long? Because launching a rocket is not the intent of the program. The, the, the intent of the program is to keep a lot of constituents in Alabama and Florida and some other places happy with jobs and on a major aerospace project. And so wait a minute, wait, Joe, Joe, I, Joe, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> you, you're, you're really telling me that, that politics has something to do with this? 
I, it always does. And there are politics on the on the commercial side that you can point to as well. But this this thing is so slow and so expensive. And it's hard to generate any excitement about it because you think this doesn't even have a, a real destination. I mean, for all the talk of the moonshot uh, and, and lunar conquest that the, the Trump administration had, had announced, the budget is pretty weak on, on there's a couple of robotic landings planned, which are cool. And don't get me wrong, I like that. But there's not a bold plan ahead. So we're looking at this new budget from the Trump administration. If NASA just canceled out the SLS program altogether, wouldn't there be a lot more mich- lot more money left over for cool, ambitious manned and unmanned missions? Yes. I mean, th- th- there's always the where did you get the money from to pay for this? And um, that's the game that is being played right now. And it's undeniable that 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 is soaking up a lot of budget, a lot of NASA budget. And what you can do with that, if you if you offload the rides to private space and pour that money into the exploration, science, the robotic missions, fine, you could pay for your Europa Clipper and land on Europa drilling and trying to find life. I mean, eat pretty easily. Not um, sure. Not sure what you're talking about with Europa Clipper. Forgive me. <laughs> So uh, the moon of Europa uh, I mean, the, is uh, around Jupiter and has a very nice thick crust of ice. And there's a lot of evidence that um, there's enough motion underneath that ice. There's even geysers that shoots out um, that there would be thermal heating and you would have xenomorphs, alien life uh, on the bottom. The same way that there are creatures that live without any sort of sunlight underneath the ice of the Arctic. So, um, so we know that there are extremophiles that can live in these conditions there probably well there may be some in uh, under the ice of europa and there are a lot of um, researchers who are looking at ways of designing equipment to find that life and prove that it's there so you know that's the kind of really bold stuff you can do if you have a cheap ride that first step out of earth is the most expensive and most prohibitive there's a lot of debate about what we should do in terms of manned missions. Should we go back to the moon? Should we build a permanent base there? Should we go visit some asteroids, go all the way to have a manned mission to Mars? What do you think should be the priority? I, 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 you know, I've gone back and forth because I'd settle for any of it, honestly. But I really like moon first. I really like the idea of the – they used to call it the lunar gateway until a couple of days ago, and now they call it something else. But it's a basically a space station or spaceport in orbit around the moon that would serve as sort of a way station for – spacecraft that are you you know you could refuel there you could um uh you know do whatever you know maintenance you would have to do there'd be certain facilities there experiment bases that kind of thing for uh you know to go out deeper into space and it would be used by commercial and government entities i love and, that and, and to what extent would astronauts or or cosmonauts play a role in this the astronauts now um, that everyone will, will be looking at are the for, are the test pilots of the new American spacecraft that are being built by Boeing and, and SpaceX. Um, so uh, you know, the manned spaceflight, manned missions don't have a huge priority still in the budgets. Um, those are the the only people that'll be flying will be flying that to ISS for as long as that's up there. That you know, um, that's that's the space station. That's the space station. So. Beyond that, there's nothing. The grand man on the moon, man on Mars footprint will happen in 2035. 
I, no, there's no program of, of record that actually does that. So when do you think how, how long do you think it will be before we have the first permanent human base outside of low Earth orbit? Oh, boy. Um, hopefully within my lifetime. Would you go? Uh, to visit or to live there? Well, that's the question Elon Musk always poses, right? <laughs> and I mean, once always, you get to Mars, it might be hard to come home. He says he does. He he wants to die on Mars, but not on not on impact, not upon landing. <laughs> so I I agree with that one. I would love to be the first journalist, sort of in space. I would certainly go. Um, I think I would miss you know my yard and dogs and 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 uh, and gravity and you know. <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know, if 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 you can live in a submarine, you'd probably be a good colonist. Um, Colonists don't have great romantic lives. Colonists have hard, miserable lives, mostly, and go looking in human history. I kind of like the second or third wave arrival myself. Um, I kind of would like to be there when it's not so hard scrabble and people aren't being sucked out of defective airlocks or whatever is going to be plaguing the engineering. I'll get all those bugs out of the system, and then maybe, maybe I'll go. Joe, we are a podcast, so I hope if you do go, uh, you'll you'll tell us all about it. Although the podcast interview might be kind of hard with that, you know, with that two minute delay of communicating with Mars or whatever it is. We have Miranda's great editing to yeah, tighten she, it up. She can't she, she can't she can't beat the speed of light. Joe, Joe Papalardo, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Had a great time. Jim, I'm in the surprising position of not knowing as much about the subject of this week's episode as you do. Which must be a first. (laughs) Sadly, it's not. But let me ask you a couple of questions. For instance, I was really struck by Neil deGrasse Tyson, the show that we did with him last year, where he was clearly very excited about manned spaceflight and the future of manned spaceflight, which has kind of taken a back seat in the space program. What's your view on that? Yeah, well, it's interesting because often scientists come the other way. The robotic missions have yielded so much amazing knowledge, the Curiosity missions, even the Voyager missions, which are still sending back data. They were launched in the 70s. So it was interesting to hear Neil deGrasse Tyson say, man, flight is important because it inspires people. It gets people thinking about science and space. So I'm, I'm a romantic like him. I like manned space missions. And I thought what was interesting in, in Joe Papalardo's take is that he seems pretty optimistic that all this excitement with these private companies, you remember they make a lot of money launching satellites. That's not necessarily something the public looks at, but they can make money. They can make a profit launching satellites for private companies. That allows them to build the technology, develop it. You don't need a lot of tax dollars going into that to, to improve our ability to get to space. What I think is not going right is a lot of people in Congress want NASA to stick with the old plan where it spends billions and billions and billions on rockets that may never even fly. I, I hear you on that, but I do think there's a real role for government to spend taxpayers' money um, in ways that forward 
exploration and development that may not be something private industry can do because there isn't a profit motive involved. Right. So I actually agree with that, but I think that NASA is wasting a lot of money. Do we want to go to space or do we want to put people on jobs building rockets that never fly? You know, we really as a country have to get our priorities in place. And when people say, you know, oh, we shouldn't have new technology because somebody might lose a job. It's like, there are going to be so many other amazing jobs in space, but it's not, they're not going to be pork handed out from the federal government. And it's not a Republican or Democrat thing. Pork knows no party. We've seen this through the history of NASA. It's part of how NASA went off the rails to a degree. Not their missions, but the long, long investment in the space shuttle, the long, long investments in this new SLS program. You know, that's been a waste of money. So fixing NASA programs and priorities, that's a very important solution. Get NASA back to the core of coming up with great science missions, great manned space missions, then hire SpaceX or somebody else to, to get those missions up into space. How do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our show about space exploration produced by Miranda Schaefer. Our program is a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out and how we might be able to help you at DaviesContent.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.